to look at spiritual disciplines over the next eight weeks together. And the ones we're going to look at today are fasting and prayer. Uh, in life, there are in-between moments. And it's during these types of moments where God does really, really vital work. But in-between moments or transition moments, they're really, really noisy. They're uncomfortable. Uh, we are sort of off-kiltered in them. All right? And so they're challenging in these ways. But yet, in the noise, in the midst of everything that is swirling, again, God does some of his most vital work. And so today we're going to talk about these two spiritual practices of prayer and fasting. I want you to think about it from this perspective. If I took you to the Old Testament, uh, there's the story of the children of Israel. And when they are going from Egypt to the Promised Land, it's not a direct route. So in other words, they don't go from where they were to where God desires them to go. There's this in-between season called the wilderness time. But there's some similarities that we can see between the story of the Old Testament and then the story of the New Testament in Jesus' life. And so we're going to look at these two spiritual disciplines that Jesus engaged, prayer and fasting, and contrast them a little bit to the children of Israel. The children of Israel, when going from Egypt to the Promised Land, they pass through on dry ground as God parts the seas. And then again, they don't enter right into the Promised Land, but they go into a wilderness season, an in-between season, if you will. And during this time, they grumble, they complain, they are critical, they see everything that isn't, even though God is fully present with them, their eyes don't remain fixed on that. They begin to see everything else around them. And so what should have taken 40 days ends up taking 40 years. And here's what is true. For some of you, you may have entered a time, a transition time in your life. There's no guarantee you get to the other side. Even though God's heart may be for you to get to a new season and step into a new place, it requires our obedience within that season in order to arrive at a destination that God, de that God desires. And so time and time again, they are tempted and they choose themselves. They reject God and ultimately fall short. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament, we also see this identical pattern in the life of Jesus. Jesus is our Redeemer. So everything that we fall short of, whether it's all in the Old Testament, we see Jesus fulfill in the New Testament. And so Jesus too, in this transition season from being a carpenter, working at home, staying in his hometown, serving in his hometown, he's going to step now from private life to public ministry where he is going to turn water into wine, he's going to heal the sick, cast out demons, pe preach the gospel, and show us the way, the truth, and life. But in order to get there, he too has to go through a transition season. And so he passes through the waters of baptism that should remind us of the children of Israel passing through the waters of the Red Sea. The waters of the Red Sea part for the children of Israel, but the sky parts for Jesus. And a voice from heaven affirms that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so from affirmation and from love, Jesus moves into the wilderness. But he enters the wilderness, and yet instead of grumbling and complaining, he exercises different practices. He prays and he fasts for 40 days. And time and time again, just like the children of Israel, he experiences temptation, but Jesus honors his father, and he stands firm. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's what I want you to know. Not every desert season in your life is actually the work of darkness. The Holy Spirit will intentionally lead us and lead you and lead the whole world sometimes into wilderness seasons for us to see what's really going on on the inside. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now we are doing a 21-day fast, not a 40-day fast. We're doing a 21-day fast, and we're inviting you to join us. Because in life, again, there are these in-between or these transition moments where God desires to bring closure to one season, but he desires to open the door in another season of life. And our obedience in these tough times matters. A leadership person that I admire, his name's Terry Walling, and he says this. He says that you and I will go through about 8 to 12 seasons of transition in our lives that last usually somewhere between 3 to 5 years. It's different. It can be different for some of us, but that's usually what it looks like. And so it could be that you, you went from being single to engaged to married. That's a transition. No kids to kids. That's a transition. This job to that job. That's a transition. Leaving home is a transition. Kids leaving home. That's a transition. Retirement. That's a transition. All of these seasons in our lives that we go through. But transitions can also happen in any one of our lives because of things that are negative that we experience. Isolation when we feel alone. Leadership backlash when you look up to someone and they fall short and it wounds you. Conflict and times of crisis. Now, here is what's really unique. What's really unique about a global pandemic that we're walking through is it's a combination of all of these things simultaneously. It is not just one of these markers. It is the global thing that we are all going through, seasons of transition, and it's a combination of all of those things. So if it feels hard, if it feels confusing, if it feels frustrating, if it feels sometimes that you're at your wit's end, it's because it is. It's a definite season of transition that we are all going through. And I want to just take a moment and reiterate that we as a staff began to pray at the outset of this pandemic and we asked the Lord, like, what, what, do you, what do you have for us? How are we to walk through this? And how God calls another church to walk through it is different than how he's calling us to walk through it. And we respect that. But we took time to fast and we took time to pray as a staff. And a collective staff, we felt only two things going into this pandemic. And we still feel these things. Number one is whenever we're able, we want to keep the doors of the church open. Whether it's for two people or 200 people, it doesn't matter. Keep the doors of the church open wherever we're able, do that. And the second thing is this, is keep everyone's eyes fixed on Jesus or becoming more like Jesus. And so whatever your opinion of vaccines are, guidance, government, whatever it happens to be, the reality is in this season, we can get our eyes on a lot of things and you're allowed to have different and varying opinions, that's absolutely fine. But the truth of it is we're called all to be like Christ because in seasons of transition, that is what, this is what is most critical that we go through. So we as a church, this has been our posture and this has been our prayer and this is going to continue to be our posture and our prayer. And some people have left Life Center because they don't like that. As long as they've ended up in another church, to God be the glory. It's all good. It's all good. In seasons of transition, though, we are called to live into spiritual practices and spiritual practices aren't powerful in and of themselves, but they position us to live from a power that is beyond us, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is what Jesus was doing in the desert. Jesus wasn't just wandering for 40 days. He was living intentionally into spiritual practices that enabled him to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that when temptation came to his heart and life, he was able to honor God and stand firm. Why? Because, again, of what he was rooting his heart and his life in. This is what we see Jesus doing. Now, Jesus fasts and he prays. But the children of Israel, they grumble and complain. And here is what is powerfully true. Both of those things will affect your life spiritually. Both of them are spiritual practices. Grumbling and complaining is every bit as much of a spiritual practice as praying and fasting. If you can worry, you can pray. 
I'm telling you, if you can worry, you can pray. If you can have your heart be overwhelmed by something, you can also have your heart be burdened by the Lord. Both of these are spiritual practices that direct your life, direct my life. And they're critical. If we fast and we pray or we grumble and complain, it affects how long, often how long we stay in a season of transition or even if we get to the other side. Again, we're allowed to have a million different opinions around this, but our hearts matter as we walk through this together. Moments of transition are critical and they can usually be understood by one of two perspectives. So in my life, I've heard about the story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days, and I've heard it preached from two different perspectives. The first perspective that I often hear as Jesus is practicing uh, fasting and praying in the wilderness, I've heard this perspective preached before, and I think it's good. Jesus is being tempted by the enemy for 40 days, and when he's at his lowest point, everyone say lowest point, You can type in the chat if you're online, lowest point. When he's at his lowest point, when he is most hungry, that's when the enemy really pours it on. And so when Jesus is at his worst, when he's at his lowest point, when he is dead hungry, this is where the enemy absolutely pours it on. And I think there's truth to reading that story from that perspective. I think it's good to read it from that perspective because I do believe that the disposition of the devil is never kind or loving towards you or I. The devil doesn't care if you're depressed or if you're discouraged. No, 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 no. He doesn't go easy in those seasons. He does pour it on. I don't think his disposition is ever loving or kindful towards us. So it is okay to read the story through that one way and that one, one lens. But I think it's incomplete only to look at the story to say Jesus was fasting for 40 days and he's hungry and here comes the big bad devil when he was at his absolute lowest because I don't think it actually tells the true story of what is happening. And here's the story that I want to invite you into in this season that we are going to go now into of 21 days of fasting and prayer. Due to hunger, Jesus was weak. But who was Jesus led into the wilderness by? It says he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. So he wasn't there as a result of disobedience. He was actually there as a result of being obedient to the Spirit of God. And being led by the Spirit of God, he begins to practice these spiritual gifts of prayer and fasting. And yes, he's hungry. The Bible says he's really hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And the enemy doesn't just tempt him at the 40th day. He tempts him all along the way, but he ramps it up. But here's the thing that we see in Scripture time and time and time again. When you and I root ourselves in spiritual practices, we position ourselves to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, which gives us supernatural strength. So the truth of the story is not only the disposition of the enemy towards Jesus. The truth is the enemy couldn't have picked a worse time to tempt Jesus. He couldn't have picked a time that was worse to come at Jesus because while he was in his humanity at his weakest, he was actually spiritually quite strong. He was honed in to hearing the the Father. He has set aside the noise of the world in which it was around him. And he has absolutely zeroed into God. Who are you calling me to, you know, call to join me in this mission? He has zoned into the Father. So here's what I want you to know. When you begin to fast, or if you engage this fast with us, your physical body may get tired. It may get weak. You may have those things. But spiritually, you're positioning yourself to tap into a supernatural strength that is greater than just you eating that donut. And everyone said whatever you wanted to say. In seasons of transition... And in between seasons, God desires to do one of three things. The God is God, and God can do whatever God desires to do. But genuinely, God is doing one of these three things. In this next 21 days, here's what I want you to know. God wants to heal a wound in your heart. He wants to heal something in your heart. Here's why it's critical. 
Because when we have wounds that are not healed and we step into next seasons in life, sometimes we can end up harming others rather than helping others. And so God wants to bring healing to some area of your heart and life. He may want to convict you of something. Convict you of how you speak or what you're seeing or gossip or whatever it happens to be. What you click, what you watch, what you engage. He may want to convict you of sin. Allow him to do it. It's not because he doesn't love you. The Bible says, no, he disciplines those he loves. But he also wants you to have clarity about his heart, his purpose for the next season of your life. I absolutely love that Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit from the affirmation of the Father before Jesus heals the sick, casts out a devil, preaches the gospel. He does none of those things, and it says, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. Some of you every single day get up with this conscience of God doesn't love me, God doesn't love me, God doesn't love me. In Jesus' name in 2022, that will be replaced by the truth of God's word that he does love you because he is love. God desires to heal, convict, and he desires to clarify, but Satan also desires to distract and distort and sow disbelief, first about who God is and then disbelief about one another and our motives and our intent. Distort, because here's what's amazing about all of our vision. It doesn't really matter what you see. If your vision is distorted, it really doesn't matter what you see. A few weeks ago, I was painting the ceiling in my house I'm not a smart man, and I figured this out quickly. See, a smart person would have taken the paintbrush that's on the pole and painted the ceiling out there, not this man. I painted the ceiling right above me, and I had a paint drop go right in my eye, and it went right over my whole contact lens. <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, it was totally fine. No, nothing happened. It's not like, oh, it's just latex paint. It's all totally fine. But here's the amazing thing. When my vision was distorted, it doesn't matter what I looked at, everything was distorted. I just couldn't see. If the enemy can distort your vision, it doesn't matter what you see. You don't see it the way God intends. And I've been in my life where wounding distorts our vision. A critical spirit distorts our vision. Envy in comparison and jealousy, that distorts our vision. And so these are the plans of the enemy. So the spiritual practice, we see Jesus exercising to transition well in this season. We see prayer and fasting. Let's talk a little bit about both today. Fasting is fixing our first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, after fasting and praying, this was his Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be provided to you. If you live a life trying to find, if you live a life searching after all of these things and try to shoehorn Jesus into it, it'll never work. You'll never have enough time, even though you do have abundance of time. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is precisely what we see Jesus doing for 40 days. We see him fasting, and fasting is giving up something that we love for someone that we desire to be even more like. This is why we fast. This is why Jesus was fasting. Fasting is not, it is not trying to twist God's arm. That's not why you're fasting. You're not fasting to twist God's arm. No, fasting is you afresh at the outset of a year. It is turning your affections towards the heart of God, who is your loving Heavenly Father. Now, with any type of fast involving food, it's always imperative that you consult a physician or your doctor if you're going to do anything with food. Here's what I want you to hear with both ears and your whole heart. Faith is never being foolish or reckless. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it well. Treat it well, okay? So for me, 
I am going to do intermittent fasting, and here's what it means. This is what I'm doing for 21 days. I'm fasting some choice foods, and I'm going to go on an intermittent fast. So I am, I am not going to eat from 12 p.m., 12 a.m. till 5 a.m. I'm not going to eat during that season. I know, I know, I know. A bunch of judgmental people. Like, oh, all of a sudden now it's a competition. Like, well, that's a crappy fast. Who asked you? Don't be that person, by the way, that when people, like, don't, don't like, try to one-up people. In fa- what are you fasting? They're like, well, I'm fasting coffee. Yeah, I'm fasting that too, but I'm also fasting, like, other things like air. Like, one time someone said to me, like, I'm fasting work. I don't think that's fasting. I think that's called a vacation. I think there's a different word for that. It's okay, my wife can work. She's got it. God bless her. So what are you fasting? What are you fasting? For me, I'm going to not eat. I'm going to eat. I'm intermittent fasting, but I'm not during the time that I said. But fasting is giving something we love for someone that we desire to be even more like. With any type of fast, as I said, you've got to be wise with it. So this is a corporate fast which means that we're joining with other followers of Jesus for a specific purpose. It's a corporate fast. That's what we're doing together. So you can do a full fast where you drink only liquids and juices and smoothies. You can do a partial fast, which is a Daniel fast, where you eat only fruits and vegetables. Uh, you give up one food item. Like for some of you, you're like, I'm going to fast coffee. And for the first three to four days, we really don't want to be around you. <laughs> we really, really don't. Has anybody here ever given up coffee before and drink a fast? Holy cow. You get... I don't think I've ever preached and said the words holy cow in my life. But you get, you get headaches. You're irritable. So you know what? That's just a re- reminder that that little one substance can do all of that to me. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. I got a lot of flesh that needs to die. You can give up a food item. You can fast social media. You can say I'm only going to eat from like 6 a.m. till 3, 3 p.m. 3 p.m., whatever. You can do an intermittent fast. That's up to you to figure out. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to fast, and then fully engage it. Uh, For some of you, for medical reasons, you can't fast food or you can't fast drink. That's totally fine. You can fast. Some of you you may need to fast fast CNN or Fox News because that's shaping you in ways that are not great. Uh, Some of you, maybe social media, just taking a pause from that. Not that it's all evil and bad. It's just a tool, but the noise of it is really, really noisy and influences your heart and life, so you want to pause that, right? Whatever you want to do, ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me fast? Here's what I promise you. If you ask the Holy Spirit and he puts something on your heart and it's really, really difficult, enjoy the process of dying to it. Just enjoy the process of dying to it. Right? You know, again, if you, if you, I joked about it. If you're going to say I'm going to fast like from something super easy, you're not going to find it. So it's not trying to like compete, but it is saying, Lord, I want to feel this. I want to feel like I'm giving something up, that I'm actually dying to something. That's what I want it to feel like. Here's what Jesus said about fasting. Here's what he said in Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Uh, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, like, don't go around like you're a super Christian, you're a martyr, like, oh, I'm fasting, oh, I'm fasting. They don't do that. You can, it's a corporate fast, so you can talk about it. But really, if you want to make yourself out to be the superstar Christian who's fasting, and everyone should go, wow, look at you, Jesus said, really, you've already got your reward. I don't know about you, but I don't want any rewards from you. I want the rewards from the Father who's in heaven. In other words, I want God to do something in me that you can't do for me. I want God to break things in me that you can't break for me. I want God to move my life to a different space and a different season over these next 21 days that you can't get me there on your own. This is what Jesus is saying. And your Father who sees in secret, everyone say in secret. In secret, he's going to reward you. 
The secret place or spending time with God is also a place of prayer. If you don't add prayer to your fasting, fasting is an important spiritual discipline. And fasting, by the way, is also too, it's not, it's not a way to kickstart a diet. That's not what it is. That may be a side benefit, but don't let that thing get the hold of your heart. If you don't add prayer to it, it's not as powerful as it could be. And so fasting combined with prayer is powerful because it opens our ears to hear Jesus afresh. This is what prayer does. It opens our eyes to see Jesus. It provides spiritual resiliency in our hearts and helps us die to ourselves and sets us up to step into the supernatural of God. Here's one of the ways that prayer and fasting go together. They both feel like you're dying to yourself. Unless you've never developed the rhythm of prayer, sometimes to develop the rhythm of prayer, you have to befriend boredom. You have to befriend boredom a little bit. It can be not as stimulating as other things like grabbing your phone for social media or watching Netflix or whatever it happens to be. It's a different pace than that when you begin to pray, when you develop the practice of prayer. And some of you don't need, you have a prayer life, it's an active prayer life, you know how to, there's different ways to pray, that's fine. For those of you who are starting though, prayer is simply this. It is talking to God about what's on your heart and letting the Father then, through his word, talk to us about what's on his. Ultimately, that's what prayer is. This is something that each of us can practice, each of us can learn how to do. Now let me ask you a question. I have one up here. Has anybody here, you can online, you can put your hands up in the chat. Has anybody here in your life, if you're in the house, raise your hand. Has anybody here in your life ever bought a greeting card? Can I see your hands, please? Some of you won't raise your hands for anything, and that's, that's fine. You do you. When you bought a greeting card, whether it was at Shoppers Drug Mart or a dollar store or wherever you bought greeting cards, and by the way, greeting cards are now really expensive. Haven't you noticed that? I went to Shoppers to get a greeting card. It was $13.99. I didn't know when I got to the, the catch. $13.99. I was like, for what? <laughs> so what I did then is I took the gift that I was going to give with the greeting card. I returned that because the card now is the gift. It's the gift. But some of you think that's a joke. That's the funny thing in all of it. But when you pick a greeting card, usually what you do is you grab the card and you, you, you read what's inside. It's usually pretty cheesy, yeah? But you read what it's on the inside. Now, in giving a greeting card, whether it's a thank you card, a birthday card, an anniversary card, or whatever card, Christmas card, has anybody ever just bought the greeting card and just given the greeting card as is? Yeah, yeah put it in the envelope, sure. But what do you do? You don't do that. Usually you do one of two things. You, you sign your name, right? And you usually, what do you usually do? You write a line or two at the bottom. So my go-to, if you ever get a greeting card from me, it will say this. It'll say my, your name, and then it'll say, read what the greeting card says. That's what I wanted to say, Jason. That's why I stood in 15 minutes in the shoppers trying to pick the right one. Right? No, it doesn't say that. It'll say at least two little lines, right? Why do I say that? I say all of that for an illustration to say this. If you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to say, grab the Psalms and read one out loud to God. Just read a Psalm. 
And then at the end, like you do a greeting card, just add a line, God, I thank you for today. Amen. If you can read a psalm, you can pray. You can practice the spiritual discipline of prayer because there is only two things that destroy the spiritual discipline of prayer. There's only two things. There's only two things that can absolutely kill prayer in your life. Two things only. The first is pride. Not praying at all. A prayer, a last life, is a prideful life. Right? A prayerless life is a pride-filled life. It's a life that says, I don't really need God. I don't really need to talk to you about this, God. I got this on my own. Thank you very much. I'm not talking about how much or how long you pray or what style of prayer. Just that you develop the discipline of fasting, but also prayer. And the second thing that can destroy your life, your prayer life, is performance. Is performance. And these aren't my words. These are Jesus's. Performance, and this is where fasting and prayer is linked together. A minute ago, we read this. When you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Now watch what Jesus says about prayer, and you can't help but see that it's almost identical. He says this, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, almost identical to fasting. And he says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, essentially, he says, don't let it be a performance. Don't try to impress God or impress other people. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words, how eloquent they are, how powerful my prayer is. You know what a really powerful prayer is? Jesus, help. That's really powerful. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. So the question there is, well, if my Father already knows what I need before I ask him, why bother to do it? Because ultimately, God is a relational God. And he loves for you and I to pour our hearts. And there's something about prayer and fasting that changes us. And so Jesus trusted the Father knew what he needed. So he stood firm against the enemy. To walk with the Spirit, Jesus practiced the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting. And while fasting and praying, Jesus was never prideful, nor did he make it a performance. And so our 21 days of prayer starts today. And fasting is giving up something we love for someone we desire to be more like. Prayer is talking to our Father about what's on our heart and then letting the Father talk to us about what is on His. Final today, in every spiritual practice or spiritual discipline, they're called practices for a reason. You're not going to get them perfect all the time. Fix your heart on God's presence, not your perfection. So here's what you may discover if you set out to do a 21-day fast. By day four, that donut looks really good. And you're hungry. And no one is around. And you eat the donut. And instantly, you're going to just feel like Adam and Eve in the garden. You're going to feel like, oh, that's it. I've let humanity down. I've let the whole church down. God's not moving, and it's my fault. That darn donut. 
I'm not trying to let you off the hook. But what I am saying to you is this. Fasting and prayer is not about your perfection or your performance. If you have a bad day four, repent and confess it and start again on day five. Here's the dirty little secret about transformation. It's really hard. It's not easy to change critical thinking to positive thinking or negative thinking, I should say, to positive thinking. It is not an easy thing to be jealous and then to celebrate with gratitude to others. It's not. We need a power that is beyond us. And the growth, it doesn't look always perfect. So all I'm saying is if you have a tough day four, have a good day five. Confess it and start again because here's what you're going to be tempted to do. Day one of the fast is good. Day two of the fast is okay. Day three of the fast, it's like, I don't like this. This stinks. Day four, you give in. And then here's what happens. Because I can't do it perfectly, I give up. Reject that in Jesus' name. It was never about your perfection. It is about his presence. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're day five through ten, you get back and you engage it, right? All that you learned in your failure is I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. Ah, that's why you're fasting and praying, because we're not strong enough to do this on our own. We need a power that is beyond us, the power of the Spirit. 